For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Will you bow with me? Father, grant us the grace this morning to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would give us a spiritual hearing, Father, that would tune our hearts, Father, to hear you. Lord, I pray that you would move us towards you. Our inclination is to move away from you. So, Father, by the power of your Spirit, draw us closer to yourself. We need to hear from you, Lord. We need you. We confess that. We come needy this morning. So, Father, as you speak, as you speak, Lord, give us ears to hear you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Historians tell us that on the night before D-Day in June of 1944, General Dwight Eisenhower sat down to write two letters. One letter was in case the invasion failed. It was a letter expressing his deep sorrow over that and then shouldering the blame for any failure that Operation Overlord met with. The other letter was the opposite. The second letter was in case the invasion succeeded. And in that letter, MacArthur gave praise to the valiant soldiers and said that this has succeeded only because of the brave men who acted and storming the beaches of Normandy. The reason he wrote those letters is he knew that a lot weighed in the balance. And being unsure of the outcome, he was prepared for both. Well, at the risk of sounding overly dramatic, in many ways, this Sunday, this Prove the Tithe Sunday, is such a moment of decision for us. As a congregation for the last four Sundays we've been moving toward today, in asking ourselves, will we take God at His word, or will we believe the lies of the devil? Will we take God at His word and see what is possible when His people give a tithe and over a tithe? Or will we be content with the status quo? Will we take God at His word and experience His favor? Or just be satisfied with the way things are? So as I was preparing this week and praying and thinking, the question came to me, how can I encourage us as a congregation to take God at His Word? 
How can I encourage us to not be satisfied with the way things are, but to step out in faith and to trust God? And I thought to myself, Self, why don't you just share with them from your story? They've been a part of this journey with Emma. Why don't you share with them how even in the hardest times, God has never failed. In fact, one of the songs that Jody and I listen to frequently is a song by C.C. Winans entitled, He Hasn't Failed Me Yet. We always gravitate toward the second verse of that song because in it, C.C. Winans says, With years of life came test and trial, and nights when tears replaced the smile. Though God was right there all the while, my soul was not at rest. But I lived to tell that I made it through. So instead of singing the blues, I bring you news to encourage you. He has never failed me yet. But then I thought, no, I don't think I'll go that direction. I thought instead, why don't I share with them stories from saints of the past? Stories of, of men and women who took God at his word and acted in faith. And I thought about the story of George Mueller, 19th century man of God who felt called by God to open an orphanage in London, stepped out in faith, built an orphanage that housed 300 fatherless boys and girls. 300. One morning it said that he came downstairs and he was met by the house mother who said, the children are dressed and ready, but we have no food for breakfast. Mueller said, that's okay. Gather them anyway into the dining hall. We'll trust God to provide. He gathered all the children together, 300 orphans, no food. And he prays, Lord, we thank you for the breakfast that we are about to receive. It wasn't within five minutes that there was a knock at the door. A man stood there and he was the baker in that area. And he said, Mr. Mueller, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew you needed bread this morning, so I got up early and I baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. But God didn't stop there. Five minutes later, there was another knock at the door. Mueller opens it, and it's the local milkman whose cart had broken down just outside the orphanage. He said, Mr. Mueller, my will's gone. It's going to take me a long time to repair it. By the time I repair it, the milk will be bad. So instead of letting it go to waste, could you all use the milk? And it was enough milk for 300 orphans. Doesn't God work His wonders to perform? And I thought that would be a good way to encourage the congregation. To take God at His word. But then I thought, no, I don't think I'll do that. Instead, I think the greatest reason I could give you to take God at His word is this. God said to. God told us, take me at my word. This passage that says tithe, give. God says, test me. That is God saying, take me at my word. Take me at my word. Trust me. Let, prove me in this. Only time in the scripture where God says it is okay to test me and see if I will not come through is in the area of giving. And God gives us two reasons in this passage. He says, first of all, you take me at my word and give because I do not change. In this world, 
where things change rapidly and quickly. In this world where we wonder, can we really trust anyone? God says, I do not change. He begins this passage in verse 6 with that very statement. For I, the Lord, do not change. He's speaking to a people who have gone through times of change. They've gone through wars. They've gone through being exiled from their homeland, taken 800 miles away from their homes. They've experienced a return to the land where they have experienced struggles of poverty and desperation. And all those things were related to their walk with God. And Malachi has been sent by God to tell these people one message. Turn back to God. Turn back to Him. In verse 6 where he says, I don't change, it really has a double reference. In one way, it refers back to verse 5. Look there. God says, I'll draw near to you in judgment. I'll be a swift, a swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I do not change. Our God is a just God. He does not change in seeking to right the wrongs of this world. He doesn't change in standing for those who are powerless. And it's a reminder to us who feel overwhelmed by this world and wonder what in the world is going to happen, who is going to speak for me. You have a defender who will never fail. But then God moves on. He's not only consistent in His judgment, He's consistent in His grace because He says, because I don't change, children of Israel, you are not consumed. God doesn't change in His patience. He's long-suffering. God is not quick-tempered. Thank His name He is not. He is patient with us. And that's why He calls out to us to repent, to turn back. In fact, the necessity of repentance is shown in verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes. You've not kept them. He says, human nature is the same. Just as your grandparents sinned, as your parents sinned, you have sinned. And the same is true with us. Our natural inclination is to bend away from God and not take Him at His word. That's why he says in verse 7, return to me and I'll return to you. The relationship can be reconciled. What's broken can be mended. But he goes on to talk about what is repentance. Now notice, he says, I'll return to you. But then the question comes, how shall we return? You see, this people that he's speaking to understood that there was an issue with God, but they didn't quite understand what it was. And that's a pattern throughout the entire text. Every time God says, you do this, they say, what do you mean? In verse 1, God says, you've shown contempt for me. They say, how have we shown contempt? God says, you've defiled me. They say, how have we defiled you? Chapter 2, You've wearied me, God says. They say, how have we wearied you? It's a people that realized God's blessing wasn't there, but they didn't realize God wasn't there, so they were always scratching their heads. What's going on? And that's what they do here. It's like they say, we don't know. What does that look like? What does repentance look like? What do you mean, God? And God answers them. Verse 8. Repentance is not just a feeling. It's not just being sorry. God says, if you are to return to me, it calls for a change in behavior. 
And he says, will a man rob God? Now, the obvious expected answer is no, you don't rob God. How could you rob God? But then in verse 8 he says, you are robbing me. How? In your tithes and offerings. The spiritual condition of the people was revealed in their giving or the lack thereof. One of the ways you can gauge how your walk with God is, is your attitude and your practice of giving. If we say, Lord, I am right with you, I love you, but we are not practicing consistent faithful giving, God says, you're not right with me. Your giving is an x-ray of your soul. It's an x-ray of your walk with God. Now, it's not accurate to say these people were not giving. But it's what they were giving that was the problem. Up on the screen, you'll see Malachi 1, 6 through 8. God says this. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Makes sense to us. Son respects his father. An employee respects his boss. If then I'm your father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts? O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Now here is the issue. By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When? You offer blind animals and sacrifice. Is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Here's what was happening. Their tithes and offerings were given usually in livestock or grain offerings. So when the shepherd or the owner of the flock came out and he's looking and he's looking at his flock, he says, that's a healthy sheep, put it over there. That's a healthy sheep, put it over there. That one looks a little sick, put it over here. That one, it's got bad eyes, put it over here. That one's good, put it over here. That one, I don't think I could get much for it at the market, so put it over here. Now this pile, this sheep that are lame and blind and I can't get much money for, there's my offering to God. God's happy and I'm happy. Look at what God says. Try telling that when you pay taxes. That's how they're robbing God. Now we think, I would never do that. I wouldn't give God second best. We wouldn't be like the lady who called the Butterball hotline. And by the way, Thanksgiving's around the corner. There is a 1-800-Butterball hotline if you get into trouble with the turkey. True story. Several years ago, a lady calls the Butterball hotline. She had been in her freezer and found a turkey that she believed, based on the date, on the package, had been in there for 23 years. Her question, can I still cook this and eat it? The Butterball representative said, well, if you've kept the freezer below zero for the entire 23 years, you could probably eat it. However... The taste of the turkey has probably deteriorated where I could not recommend you eating it. So the caller replies, that's what I thought too. So we'll just give the turkey to the church. We would never do that, would we? We would just never be that blatant. The way we operate is like this. If I have anything left at the end of the week, then I'll give. Here's $10. I'll put that aside. I'll give if we don't have anything come up this week. Then I'll give. And the scripture's saying that's robbing God. 
You see, we rob God when we don't realize that God owns everything. We can only rob Him if it's His. And as believers, we should be the first to say everything we have is God's. He has simply given it to us that we would manage it and steward it for Him. I mean, how would you feel if this happened? You have a package and you've wrapped it up to mail to your son or your daughter in China. Just hypothetically. Okay. And you, you send it UPS. But it never gets there. So you call up. What happened? Well, the driver of the UPS truck, he discovered there were Cheez-Its in that. And decided to keep it, take it home. You'd say, no, no, no. Nay, says I. That wasn't for him. His job was to simply deliver that to my daughter who wanted some Cheez-Its. That wasn't his. In the same way, God has given us what we have that we may simply be a vessel to deliver it where he desires. It's his. And we are robbing him whenever we say, Lord, this is mine to do with whatever I want to instead of saying, Lord, it's yours. We're also robbing God because we rob Him of His glory when we don't recognize Him by giving unto Him. You see, it becomes a pride thing. When we become defensive of our possessions and our money thinking it's ours, we're forgetting that God is the giver of all things. God knew our hearts were inclined to this. Look up at the screen, you'll see a passage from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. Beware, God says, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Do you realize it is God who gives you strength to work? It is God who gives you breath in your lungs so that you can work? It is God who gives you the mind and the ability to work? Without God, we would have nothing. It's His. Several years ago, Many years ago, a classic movie came out with Jimmy Stewart. Great actor. If you don't know Jimmy Stewart, you'll see him coming up. It's a wonderful life. This film was called Shenandoah. Story of the Civil War. Widower, played by Jimmy Stewart, the head of the Anderson family. is trying to keep his family together. They sit down at a meal. One place is empty. The place where his wife would have sat. And Jimmy Stewart bows down and he says, Now your mother wanted me to raise you all as good Christians. And I might not be able to do that thorny job as well as she could, but I can do something about your manners. Everybody bow your head. And so Jimmy Stewart prays at the beginning of the film. He says, Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it. We sowed it. We harvested it. We cooked the harvest. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eaten if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog-boned hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you just the same, Lord, for the food we're about to eat. Amen. Arrogance. As the film goes on, everything changes. Three of his sons are killed in the war. Another in prison from being a spy. Toward the end of the film, he sits down at the table again, but now, now there are four empty seats. This time he bows his head. He begins by praying. And he says, Lord, if we hadn't done it ourselves. And he stands and walks away. Realizing the folly of thinking we do it ourselves. We can do nothing apart from God. And when we forget that, and we think it is ours, and we begin living for our possessions, we are setting ourselves up for stress and anxiety and worry. 
Because the more we hold on to stuff and money thinking it's ours, the more stuff and money and possessions will grab our hearts. God warns us of this. Look at verse 9. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He says that's why your crops are failing. But there's an even greater curse that comes along. It's the curse of a spirit that dries up. We're warned of this again in Proverbs 11, 24 through 25. You'll see it up on the screens. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The one who gives grows richer. You see, when we refuse to give, it's our souls that shrivel up because we are afraid that what we have will be taken. John Rockefeller is long recognized as one of the richest men ever in America. At the height of his power and his wealth, he was asked, Mr. Rockefeller, how much more money do you have to earn before you will really be happy? And his response was this, one more dollar, one more dollar. See, that as we become so enamored with stuff and money and refuse to let go of it, we'll find we'll never be satisfied. If you want to give God the best, this is what I encourage you to do, to make this your practice. When we get through this Sunday and we see what God does as His people give, the true test comes in making it a weekly discipline. Weekly. The way to give God your best is this. Whenever you receive your paycheck, let the very first check you write be your tithe or your offering. That's a way of saying this is the first fruit. It's all yours. And then make a plan to live on the rest. You say, well, I, I don't know that I can do that. Well, that's where the issue comes in. Are we willing to take God at His word and adjust our lifestyles so that we can give? I'm always struck by the humor of what God said in Malachi 1 when He said, try doing that with your, your governor. Okay, try doing that with the Internal Revenue Service. We'll give you what we have left over at the end of the week. How's that going to go over with the IRS? God says, am I any less powerful? Take God at His word because He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed because He will bless. Verses 10 through 12. Bring the full tithe. The tithe, a mark of a tithe is 10%. That's a baseline. May give more, may not be able to, but that's the baseline. And a tithe was always given from the lesser to the greater. Every time in the scripture a tithe is given from the lesser to the greater to recognize the greatness of the one to whom the tithe is given. When he says, bring it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, he is saying that the temple was built with rooms that could store grain and other things so that as needs arose, those grains could be given out. So he says, test me in this. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there's no more need. Now keep in mind, as, God, as we are obedient and God blesses, He blesses so we can have more to give. That as we are generous, God gives more so we can be even more generous. And there is joy in generosity. So God is saying the way to magnify your joy is to give. And as you give, I'll supply more that you need so you can give more and thereby have more joy. 
That's why he says in verse 11, I'll rebuke the devourer for you. So remember, the way that they gave tithing was this. is It was their, their livestock, their grain. The devourer was locusts. God says, as you give, as you step out in faith, I'll protect your lands. You'll have more so you can give more. The result will be an overflowing joy that causes the people to wonder. Then all the nations will call you blessed. Verse 12. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord. Joy overflowing that makes the world say, how can you be so happy about giving? And we say, because our God is true to his word. Jesus taught the same thing. Up on the screen, you'll see a words of our Lord Jesus, Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Simply, sow generously, reap generously. Sow in a miserly fashion, you'll reap very little. Jesus did not, in fact, Jesus talked more about money than he did about health. And I like that image of being pressed down, measured together, getting as much as you can into it. He's saying God's not going to be stingy. I mentioned earlier, jokingly, of course, my, my daughter and her husband are in China. And I remember when we were getting ready and they were getting ready to pack, they had certain parameters. They were allowed two pieces of luggage. And both those pieces of luggage had to be under 50 pounds for the, the flight over. And I can remember Ellen and Gabe were packing. And you talk about getting in every inch out of a suitcase. If there was room in it, it was being pressed in, but always keeping that eye on, are we 50 pounds? She had digital scales and would hold up the suitcase. Are we there? We're at 49.8. Okay, we're good. We're good. We can go. But everything packed in there for, for as long as her and Gabe are going to be there. Isn't it good that God doesn't have a weight limit on how he'll bless? He's saying, I'll bless you more than you could imagine so you can continue to be generous as you give. That's why we should take God at his word. He said to. So I ask you today, as we come in just a few moments to, to give, will you take him at his word? Not just looking at the amount, but looking at a heart, saying, Lord, I'm giving this to glorify you. We're going to sing the very familiar hymn, I Surrender All, and I pray that we can sing that with meaning. So I want to ask you to bow your heads right now. I want us to use this time to prepare to give. Maybe a little bit unorthodox, but if this is a time you need to write a check or you need to, to put the money you put aside and get it out, feel free to do that. But more than anything, let's prepare our hearts so that we give with an anticipation of how good God is going to be. Now as we sing, Nathan and I are going to be down here in the front so that if you need to respond in some way, maybe you need to, uh, to pray Maybe this morning you realize that your possessions have a hold on you rather than you holding them. And you want to say, Lord, I want to be free from this worry and anxiety. Help me. We'll, we're here to pray with you. So will you come? Father, hear our prayers this morning. Hear our prayers, oh God. Direct our hearts towards you. Incline us towards you, Father. Let us be obedient and take you at your word where you say to test you in this. Be glorified, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's stand together. As we begin to sing, if you need to come, step out.
of us continue to sing with our heads bowed. This is a familiar Let's continue to sing as the Lord is moving. worship now through giving of our tithes and offerings. John Lowe is our deacon of the week. I'm going to ask John to lead us in a blessing over this time of worship. And as the ushers would come now, please. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, Father God, you are the creator of the universe. Yet you know us intimately and you tell us in your infallible word to trust and obey and we'll be blessed more than we can imagine with with the gifts when we give faithfully and unconditionally as you gave unconditionally to us with your son jesus christ we ask you now father god to uh, help us in an act of continuing our worship service to give back the portion that you've you've requested and father that we give freely and we give happily and that we give with our love and, and that we know because your word tells us that you will bless us when we do it in your honor. And Father God, we just pray that everything that's done here, everything we've talked about over the past month, everything that we'll continue to talk about, it will be for your glory and for the upbuilding of your kingdom. Be with us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
all. This morning in our early service, we did have some additions to our church family. Um, Hannah Shelton came forward professing Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and to follow his command in being baptized. So we praise the Lord for that. And also the Overstreet family this morning united with Trinity to make this their church home officially. So if you see the Overstreets or the Sheltons, please pass that word of congratulations along to them. Don't forget our evening activities with choir rehearsal, I think, at 4.30. Tony, is that 4.30? And then the equip classes that are still meeting will begin at 6. Um, the new slate of equip classes will be announced in the near future, so uh, that will start in January, so keep your ears open for that and those opportunities to continue growing in the faith. Would you please stand with me? I just wanted to remind us of this from the Lord. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. God owns it all. To his name be glory. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>